indeed I do. It appears that Mr. Dennis Timpson and his cousin Cyril Timpson entered the premises of the Pennywise Bank in Tooting by masquerading as workers from British Telecom inspecting underground cables that were laid in Abraham Avenue. Whilst working underground, the two defendants contrived to burrow into the strong room of the Pennywise and open the safe abstracting therefrom a certain quantity of cash and valuables. As they were doing so, they were surprised by Mr. Huggins, a middle-aged bank guard. It is clear from the evidence that Huggins was shot and wounded by a revolver, which was then left at the scene of the crime. The alarm had been given, and the two Timpson cousins were arrested by police officers who arrived at the scene of the crime. Mr. Dennis Timpson admits the break-in and the theft. He says, however, that he had no idea that his cousin Cyril was carrying a shooter and is profoundly shocked at such behaviour in a member of the family. He is most anxious to avoid the fourteen years, which he believes would be the sentence if the jury took the view he was party to the wounding of Mr. Huggins. A cousin Cyril Timpson, who, instructing solicitors understand, is represented by Mrs. Philida Erskine Brown, QC, as Silk, with Mr. Claude Erskine Brown as her learner junior, will, it seems likely, say that it is all down to our client, Dennis Timpson. He has told the police, Detective Inspector Broom, that he had no idea Dennis came to the scene tooled up and that he was horrified when Dennis shot the bank guard. It seems clear to those instructing that Cyril is also anxious to avoid the fourteen at all costs. Counsel is instructed to appear for Mr. Dennis Timpson at the Old Bailey and secure his acquittal on the charges relating to the firearm. Those instructing respectfully wish learned counsel the best of British luck. Ha <laughs> ha, dear old Bernard, the Timpson's regular solicitor was a great one for the inverted comma. He had put the matter clearly enough in his instructions with my brief in Regina versus Timpson, and the case, as he described it, had several points of interest as well as a major worry. The fly in the ointment of our case had been accurately spotted by the astute and experienced Bernard. In a cutthroat defence, two prisoners at the bar blame each other. The prosecutor invariably weighs in with titbits of information designed to help the mutual mayhem of the two defendants, and the jury pot them both. The prospects were not made brighter by the fact that His Honour Judge Bullingham was selected to preside over this carnage. On top of all this anxiety, I was expecting my overdraft, already bursting at the seams, constructed for it by Mr. Truscott of the Caring Bank, to be swollen by Hilda's extravagant purchase of a new strip of floor covering. And then an event occurred which set me on the road to fortune, and so enabled me to call this particular account Rumpel's Last Case. My luck began when I called in at the clerk's room on the first morning of Regina versus Timpson and found, as usual, Uncle Tom getting a chip shot into the waste-paper basket, 
Diane brewing up coffee and Henry greeting me with congratulations such as I had never received from him after my most dramatic wins in court. Barristers, according to Henry, don't win or lose cases. They just do them, and he collects his ten percent. "'Well done indeed, Mr. Rumpole,' he said. "'You remember investing in the barrister's clerk sweepstake on the derby?' "'In fact, I remembered his twisting my arm to part with two quid, "'much better spent over the bar at Pomeroy's. "'You, uh, you drew that dire jeans,' Henry told me. "'I drew what?' Diogenes Rumpole,' Uncle Tom translated from the original Greek. "'Do you know anything about the turf? "'It came in at a canter.' I said to myself, that's old Rumpo for you. He has all the luck. Oh, got a win.